We're starting a new series today, and it's titled Heart After God. Now, I'm going to speak from a vulnerable position for a second, so forgive me ahead of time. But sometimes I've looked at people and things, and I'm like, God, why? Like, why? Why is it that it seems that that person who's doing X, Y, or Z that we know is wrong seems to still prosper and... Why, God? You know, when we think about David, King David in the Bible, we could actually, if we looked at it, we could ask the question, why? I mean, the dude was lustful. What do you mean? The Bible doesn't say he was lustful. Yeah, the guy was on the rooftop staring at Bathsheba. And he didn't see it and walk away. No, no, no. He saw it and he leaned in. Lust. Then he escalated it, was with her, then find out she's with child, so tries to orchestrate and deceive manipulating the whole situation, right? Like, think about this. Lust, adultery, manipulation, control. Look at everything he's walking in. Then when that doesn't work, he orchestrates through Joab the guy's death. Yet he's the only person that the Bible says has a heart after God. That That can wreck you. And I'm speaking from a place where my, other than Jesus, my favorite Bible character is David. But that can play a game in your mind. So, so I've been studying probably for about a year. I've had this message, this, this series smulling in my heart. What does it mean to have a heart after God? Because I think that's what we need to understand here deeper than anything else. What does it mean to have a heart after God? Because sometimes we think that in order to be used by God or to be said that we have a heart after God, we must be perfect. We, we must be sinless. There, there must be in us something that, that we are not the ones committing these different things. But then we see all these men in the Bible full of flaws and all these different things and God using them. So what does it mean then to have a heart after God? Because when we understand that it doesn't mean that you don't have sin, you're able to allow God to do the work that needs to be done in us. So what's one of the first things, and we're going to get into the word, but one of the first things that we need to understand is that humanity, people, we look at the outside, but God looks at the inside, right? How many of you have heard the saying, don't judge a... If you're online, type it in. Don't judge a book by its cover. We say it. Why do we have to say that? Why do we say it? Because we judge books by their covers. As a matter of fact, publishing companies spend spend millions of dollars on artwork and all these different things of what it's going to be or or even movies and all these things of what are the billboards, what are the stuff. Why? Because how many times haven't you by what you see? Have you ever judged a restaurant? (laughs) <laughs> this is going to be hilarious. So my wife and I like Mediterranean food. Like I like me a good hummus, some shawarma, chicken shawarma. It's really good. I, I like me some Mediterranean food. And, and, and there's this, this Mediterranean restaurant that my wife and I, we drove up to one time and we're like, oh, let's check it out. And we opened the door and we walked in and there was not a soul in the place. So we looked at each other and was like, well, ain't nobody eating here. I guess we're leaving. Let's, let's go. I'm not going to eat here either. Right? Like we judged the restaurant. 
This is way pre-COVID. It's not because it was COVID and it was empty. No, no, like, like we just judged the rest and we're like, never mind. Then one day we went again and we were going to go to the restaurant next door because it it's always packed and we go there, right? But it was so full and we're like, I don't want to wait. All right, I guess we'll try the other place. And we went in and it was delicious. It was amazing. We freak hit the joint now. But I judged it. And many times we judge or we have been judged on outward appearance. Let's look at what God says that he looks at. Go to 1 Samuel. And we're going to read multiple things in 1 Samuel. But I want you to start this morning, 1 Samuel chapter number 16. Now, we're going to kind of like go back and forth in time, all right? 1 Samuel 16, at this point where we are right now, this is when Saul has messed it up and God's anointing the new king. God tells Samuel, go to the house of Jesse, we're going to anoint the new king. So Samuel, he goes there and we're in chapter 16, 1 Samuel verse 6. It says, so it was when they came that he looked at Eliab, this is the oldest son of Jesse, he, so it was when they came... He looked at Eliab and said, surely the Lord has anointed, or the Lord anointed is before him. Verse 7, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him or rejected him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at the heart. We cannot naturally see that which God sees. Understand that. You and I cannot naturally see that that God sees. We need to understand that man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. I wrote the thought down this way. Saul was chosen by what people saw. David was chosen by what God saw. Now, why do I say it that way? Does it stand out to you that it says that God says to Samuel when he thought it was Eliab, he says, do not look at his physical stature. Why was God so direct on that? Well, when Saul was picked king, if you, if you, you read the history, Israel had the judges. If they first had Moses, then they had the judges. And then, and, and then after that, they started having, after the judges, they looked and they said, we want a king. We want a king. And God gave them the king. And in chapter 10 of 1 Samuel, it says that Saul, he was head and shoulders above everybody else. Saul was the biggest guy in Israel from the tribe of Benjamin and all the people. The guy was bigger physically in stature. So they were like, he's the king. I mean, have you ever been like, have you ever been like in a schoolyard uh, game type thing and they're picking people and you pick the biggest guy because you think, well, he's the biggest one. He might, he's probably going to be able to dunk or do whatever. And the guy's got like no coordination. Like, like, <laughs> the guy's like, it's like, they pick Saul. He's the biggest one. But the issue was that Saul's heart 
wasn't in a place that was going to make it lasting. David's heart was. Now, we're going to talk about a lot of different things over the next course of the next few weeks, but today we're just going to focus on what the beginning of meaning of having a heart after God means. So what is it that God says to him there? First Samuel, again, chapter number 16, he says, I look at the heart. So what does the Bible say about David? Well, if you go back one chapter, or sorry, two chapters to chapter 13, verse number 13 and 14, Saul's king, David has not been anointed yet, but he sees here, it says that you've done foolishly. This is what Samuel is saying to Saul. You've not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. So if you're writing it down, one of the first things that it means to have a heart after God is a heart that is obedient to God. A heart that is obedient to God. What God is saying to Saul here is your lack of following my commands disqualifies you. So if the lack of following the command is the disqualification, what would qualify you? Obedience. Obedience. David was obedient to what God said. Now, and we, we can follow this pattern when David is actually king. It says there's a, couple, there's a couple of times when the Philistines came against him, and it says that he went and he sought the Lord, and he asked, God, are you giving them into my hand? God said, go to the battle. David obeyed, went into the battle. They had the victory. Then another situation came, and the same people, and he didn't just assume to continue. It says that again he asked God, and God said, don't go that way. Go around the backside. Had he not asked again and obeyed, he would have had destruction. But he asked again. He didn't just assume. He continued to constantly ask, what do you want me to do? And his heart was positioned or in a posture to obey God. What does it mean to have a heart after God? Is a heart that will obey God. Now, the second time where it talks about the heart after God, and again, it's referring to David, leave your thumb or whatever you want to leave, but leave a marker. We're going to go back to 1 Samuel. Go to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter number 13. Jesus has died. He rose from the grave. He ascended to heaven. The Holy Spirit came and poured out. Saul has been converted. Now he's Paul, right? Different Saul. Now he's Paul. And he's speaking about all these things of Israel. And he says here in Acts chapter 13, verse 21, after he's talking about the history of Israel. He says, after they asked for a king, God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. Verse 22, this is the one I want to look at. And when he had removed him, when God removed Saul, and remember, he removed them because he wasn't obedient. He raised up for them David as king. To whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. 
So not just is a heart after God a heart that will be obedient or obey God, but it's a heart that is willing to follow the will of God. Well, isn't that the same thing? No. I can be obedient, but not be willing to follow his will. I can obey certain things and still be out of God's will. What are you talking about? Well, if God has told you to live a certain way and you're obeying his precepts and what he said, but you are not willing to walk into the will and purpose of his, of, of, that he has for your life, you're not fully obeying because you're not willing to follow the will. Are we willing to follow the will of God for our lives? Do you know that the will of God is not always what happens? <gasps> Heresy. No, hold on a second. The Bible clearly says that it's God's desire, God's will for all men to be saved. It's why he sent Jesus to die on the cross. Yet does all men get saved? No. Why? Because we have to choose God. There is a will. You may have a perfect will or something that you want for your children or whatever. They can choose not to walk into it. So are we willing to obey? Are we willing to follow his will? Can I tell you what happens to us when we don't follow his will? We're miserable, frustrated, because you're outside of the will. But if you're following his will, even things that don't look to be great work out. It doesn't mean David didn't have problems. I mean, David was an emotional roller coaster. Just read the book of Psalms. <laughs> and he wore it on his sleeve, right? Like, you, I, I, I can just imagine David kind of like, like, I flare up, like, I can, I can say something or look a certain, but I can't hide it. I can just, David was emotional. When he was having a bad day, he let you know. I can't do this, I can't, whatever. But he did what? He was obedient to the will of God. As a matter of fact, Psalm chapter 40, verse number 8, write down the reference. It's going to come up on the screen. Psalm chapter 40, verse number 8. David writes this, I delight to do your will. I take pleasure. I delight to do your will. And your law is within my heart. I delight to do your will. So again, what does it mean to have a heart after God? Well, part of it is, are we obedient to God? Another part of it is, are we willing to surrender to his will? Are we willing to walk in the will of God for our lives? How do I know the will of God for my life? Spend time with him. He'll tell you. He'll show you. He'll give you that kick, that nudge. Some people, it takes them longer to hear it. And it's not because God's not sharing it. It's usually because we're not positioning ourselves to hear it. I like to give the example of radio. I know most of us don't listen to radio anymore. Podcast, Amazon Music, Spotify, that's what we jam to nowadays, right? But think about when you were, you know, back in the day listening to radio, and as you are driving, you switch the station. Was the station broadcasting before you clicked on it? Yes. Will the station still be broadcasting if you turn off the radio? Yes. Will you hear it if the radio is off? 
Nope. Will you hear it if you're tuned into a different station? No. So are we, going back to what I just shared even before starting the sermon, are we positioning ourselves? What are we doing to hear the frequency? So you want to know the will of God for your life? Get the download through what the word says. Spend time with him. There are certain things that are like non-negotiables we know about, right? Like, like you don't need to pray about whether you're supposed to tell somebody about Jesus or not. Like you get that, nu that nudge to like pray for somebody. You don't need to say, God, is this you? Is this, is, is this something you want me to do to... To tell them Jesus loves them? Don't pray about that one. That's a given. Now, what should you study as a career? Pray about that. Who are you supposed to date and enter marriage? Definitely pray about that. Where are you supposed to work? Pray about that. What are you supposed to buy? What house? What thing? Pray about it. Pray about everything. Oh, I... You think, does God care about what tie to wear? Yep, absolutely. Because what if the person that is going to interview for that position that God has for you hates purple? And you picked a purple shirt with a bold purple tie. I think it looks cool. I have multiple, I love purple. But that person doesn't. I already walked in and they're like... But if God has it for me, it will happen. Yeah, but also God can speak to you and tell you to walk in in the right color. Pastor, that's foolishness. God cares about every part of you. Every part of you. So pray about it. And then be willing to obey. Be willing to follow his will. Here's another part of it. David had a heart that was pointed to God. Everything he did, he pointed to God. In every distress, in every situation, he always ran to God, ran to God, ran to God. You know one thing that also separated David? He always acknowledged or recognized it was God who actually did it. I wrote it down this way. A heart that recognizes and acknowledges that God does it. Very different than Saul. Saul, as a matter of fact, go back to 1 Samuel, chapter 15. 1 Samuel, chapter 15. In 13, he's already reprimanded for being disobedient. In chapter 15, the Lord tells him, go into the land of Amalek, kill it all, destroy it all. As a matter of fact, his disobedience... Hundreds of years later, the Amalekites did a huge horror to Israel. Had he been obedient to it, it wouldn't have happened. Okay? So he tells him this, but Saul doesn't. And look, he, he goes and he, he spares the king. Look at verse number 12. So Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, and it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed he set up a monument for himself. And he's gone around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. He set a monument to the king, to himself. He had them 
do sacrifices unto God, but it wasn't his place to do it. He was trying to usurp a position that wasn't his. He was trying to walk into this. I am now the one. So then Samuel comes, because God had told him to go, and he's talking to, to Saul, and he's telling him, why, why haven't you been obedient? And Saul's like, I obeyed. I killed everybody. He's like, what's all these sheep I hear? Why is King Agag over there? Why is this? See, obedience is not partial obedience. Partial obedience is actually disobedience. No, it's not. Oh, come on, parents. Pick up your room. They come back. I picked up my room. And you walk in the room, and you look under the bed. I remember that happened with Alexandra once. I'm done, Dad. And I was like, ain't no way. I mean, I just, I knew the time, right? Like, you know, you know the time. I was like, there's no way. So I didn't even walk in looking. I just walked in and went all the way to the other side. At that time, her bed was like, there was a little, her bed, and there was a little space between the bed and the wall. And I just got on the bed, and I looked on the other side. I was like, oh, that, there it is. It wasn't full obedience. It was actually disobedience. She didn't do what I asked to do. Doing it on your timetable and not God's? When we do it on our timetable, oh, I obeyed God, but I, did I do it right away? Or did I wait? It's important. So then, in the conversation, the Lord tells Saul through Samuel in verse 22, watch this, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offering and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, to heed than the fat of rams. This is going to hurt somebody this morning. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. I'm just stubborn. Ooh, the Lord says that's iniquity. You may have been stubborn, but you are now born again. And you let the Lord change you. And me, I can be very stubborn. Lord, help me. Change me. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord. He's also rejected you from being king. Disobedience disqualified him. Lack of following the will disqualified him. Thinking he was able to do it disqualified him. Now you want to see what David did? Go to chapter 17, most, one of the most famous stories in the Bible, David and Goliath. Even before you were a new Christian, you heard about David and Goliath, right? Goliath every day is challenging the people of Israel. Send me a warrior, send me a warrior, send me a warrior. Saul, remember, head and shoulders above everybody else. He was the biggest one. He's the one that's supposed to be doing the fighting. He's the one that's supposed to be doing the thing. He's hiding in a corner. David, who's like the first Uber driver, according to the Bible there, because he's showing up with the food for his brothers. All right. Sorry, I thought it was funny. That's why I'm not a comedian. He shows up with the cheese and the breads and the things for his brothers. 
And while he's there, he hears Goliath make the declaration, and he's like, they're challenging God. He didn't take it as a challenge to himself. He said, they're challenging God. So then he said, I'll go fight him. I'll go fight him. So Saul tells David, as we've heard a lot of these voices in our lives before, all right? We're in chapter 17, verse 32. David says to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. Saul says to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him for you are a youth. And he, a man of war from his youth. Then David's response, verse 34, 35, and 36. So what he says, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after it. I struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by the beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. See, but he didn't end it there, did he? Because if he had ended it there, he would have been speaking in pride and arrogance. Look what I've done. Look what I've done. I've done this. I, I, this, sir, this guy's going to be just like one of them. Verse 37 is the most important part. It's what shows his heart posture. Moreover, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine what did David acknowledge and recognize? I didn't beat the lion. I didn't beat the bear. God did. And God will beat this one too. Is the heart posture one that says, it's God, not me? It's so easy when you have success when I have success, it's so easy for words of affirmation from people to convert into pride. Oh, you're so good. Oh, you're, you're such an awesome blank. You're so good at this. Thank you. Thank you. You know, we try to keep it like, it's not me, it's the Lord. You know. But then the thought like starts to take root. Oh, I must. It's why Paul in the book of Galatians tells you, don't become conceited. <laughs> what was the heart posture of David? It's God who did it. And he'll do it again. It's God who did it. He'll do it again. It's God who did it. He'll do it again. When we recognize, when we're obedient to God, when we're willing to follow his will, when we are the ones that are pointing towards him consistently, when we acknowledge that it's him and not us, it's him doing the work, that is a heart posture positioned after God. So I ask myself this question. I'm not asking you, I'm asking myself. You're getting it by default. David, what's your heart posture? What is our heart posture? 
It's important. Why? The Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, above all things, guard your heart. When Jesus was walking with the disciples and the disciples got something to eat and they were like, oh, they're defiling themselves. They're defiling themselves. They're defiling themselves. Jesus said, don't you know that what you put inside your body doesn't defile you, but what comes out of you because out of the heart. So what's the heart posture? See, this is why we can't judge because we don't know the heart posture of the individual. We don't know, and we're going to talk about this next week, but, but, but we don't know if when, they, if when the person committed the sin, the reaction was like the psalm that David wrote, please don't depart your spirit from me. We don't know the heart posture the same way that people don't know our heart posture. Therefore, what do we need to fight to do? Keep a clean heart. It's why David writes, search my heart, O God. Search me. Sometimes we don't like what we find, though, so we say don't search. Sometimes we clean the whole house except for that one room where we threw everything in so that door doesn't get opened. I read this story of many, many years ago when the electric light bulb started becoming commonplace, and there was this two families that had wealth and they got the lights and one of them had this like amazing party, invited every single person over to the flipping of the switch party. And everybody was at the house. And the minute they flipped the switch, everything turned super bright. And you know what they noticed? All the stains on the walls from the old candles and kerosene and all the different things. Somebody in that house vowed, I will never, ever have electric light. The owner of that house, when everybody left, started a cleaning party to get rid of all the suits and all of the ash and all of the things. Which one will we be? The one that says, God, clean it so that I can shine the light, or the one that says, I won't even turn on the light because then my filth has been seen. The heart posture determines which ones we are. Worship team, as you come to the altar, come on, quick, please. Guard your heart. How do we guard our heart? Man, who do we listen to? What do we listen to? What do we watch? What do we read? What are we spending time with? Who do we associate with? All those different things can affect our heart. One of the worst things that we can do at times is hang out with somebody who is already hurt because then they're going to draw all of the attention of the hurt, right? Like, like, did you ever go through a breakup at one point in time and you're talking to somebody else about it and then like you, you, you're, you're falling in love again, talking, you know, before you were married and stuff, right? Like a long time ago or for some of you right now, but somebody's like, ooh, be careful. Mm, you don't want to get your heart stepped on again. And what makes you want to do? It makes you not want to love. Ooh, but don't you know? Judge on the outside. But God, he doesn't look at your exterior. God looks at your heart. See, I've met people who had the roughest, toughest exterior, but the biggest teddy bear of a heart. 
And you know what? I've met some people that look nice, crisp, clean, proper, and they're like the spawn of Satan in the heart. <laughs> Don't go by the outside. God looks at the heart. So tell him this morning, God, search me. And if there's anything in my heart that needs fixing, if I need to be quicker to obey, help me. Help me be willing to follow your will. Help me to always recognize it's you, not me. In Jesus' name. Come on, can we stand to our feet and worship him for a moment? I didn't do this in the first service. I just felt this in my spirit. As we worship, I, I, I actually, I think there's a kind of like a two-way street that we need to pray about right now. I feel some of us at times have judged someone or something without knowing that God, God was actually looking at the heart. And some of us, we need to release the fact that we were judged not by our heart, but by our outside. So as we worship, can we release those things to God this morning? Judgment. Being judged. And ask God to just work on the heart. Just take a minute, two minutes in his presence, you and God.